I'm excited to, to share God's Word with you this morning. Um, I really, I'm just, I've been, as I've been thinking through and, and praying about today and what God wants us to, to experience this morning. Um, so I want to ask a question. Can you think back to a time when you were mortally afraid? Think back to a time where you were just like that, that fear that takes your breath away and, and you don't know what you're going to do. Has anybody experienced something like that in a dream? Yeah, stuck in the woods not knowing which direction. Yeah. My, my wife makes fun of me because when I have nightmares, uh, you, you know when you're in the middle of a nightmare and uh, the monster or the zombie or the killer robot or whatever it is that's trying to get you uh, is trying to get you and you're trying to scream and, and in the dream you're like trying to scream but nothing comes out and, and the, there's people like within earshot that could help you but you, they can't hear you because you can't scream. Uh, happens when, when I have, that's one of my, my dreams, is that I, whatever it is is trying to get me, and there are people who could help me, but I can't reach them because I can't scream. And so then what happens is in the dream, I'm trying everything of my willpower to get some kind of a vocalization out. But what my wife hears is thrash, thrash, thrash. Ah! Ah! The one that I remember the clearest is I was in college, my freshman year, and I had just done the laundry, which was miraculous. And I had just made my bed, and we had bunk beds at University of Buffalo, and I was on the top bunk bed. And I had washed all my sheets, or maybe I had come home and my mom had washed all my sheets. And I tucked everything in, like military style, like all the sheets were like tight, and, and I had tucked in the back side. I crawled underneath, and it was tucked in along the back and along the edge and up the side. It was just enough to kind of open it up and get in. And I had, in my sleep, rolled around, and then I had grabbed the sheet and then rolled into it. So now I'm wrapped up like a mummy inside my sheet. And in my dream, there was a monster on the lower bunk of my bed in my dorm room and it had reached up from underneath and grabbed both ends of the sheet and had pulled it down so I couldn't get out. And so as I'm laying there trying to scream for help, my roommate Mark, who is sitting at his computer, hears, ah! Ah! It was terrifying. Um, opening verse for us this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 as we talk about the walking dead, it says that you... Go back. There we go. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
before we came to Christ, we were dead in the trespasses, in, in our trespasses and sins. And now, as believers, we walk in light, we walk in hope, we walk in life. And, and it should be that our walk uh, as a believer should be that we should be the walking alive. Um, and we should be able to walk in confidence, and we should be able to walk in faith, and we should be able to be the kind of people that walk through this world uh, with, with absolute confidence. But a lot of times we don't. A lot of times we walk through this world terrified. We walk through this world afraid of, of all kinds of things. I was thinking about showing the clip. Uh, you remember uh, Charlie Brown? When, when Linus is talking to Charlie Brown about all of his fears and he's naming off all the fears of things and fears of spiders and fears of the dark and fear of fear, there are all kinds of things that people are afraid of. But in the context of what we're talking about this week, I just want you to kind of imagine. Um, imagine you were suddenly attacked by zombies. You're backed into a corner that should be slide three, verse. Imagine you're backed into a corner. And, and, and obviously, we, we, don't, um, we don't believe that there are uh, living dead uh, that are out to get us. Um, but imagine that you are backed into a corner and it feels like there's no way out. And you feel that, that fear grip your heart because you, you, there's no exit. There's no way to get out. Um, what do you do? What do you do when the odds are stacked against you? What do you do when it appears, and it appears that there is no hope? You know, sometimes as Christians, we feel backed into corners. Uh, one of those ways we feel backed into corners is when we have to stand up for our faith, when we have to answer the question, are you a Christian? Or, or someone makes some kind of a comment at school or in the workplace that makes uh, uh, either fun of Christians or makes someone feel uncomfortable because they are a Christian. And we have a choice to make. We have a choice to stand up and be counted as a follower of Jesus Christ. Or we have a choice to... Uh, pretend like we're everybody else and, you know, in the, in the zombie uh, metaphor, we're going to just kind of like, oh, if I look like a zombie and I smell like a zombie and I walk like a zombie, they won't know that I'm not a zombie. But we are terrified of, of being called out. Um, you know, there's... There's one of those things, you know, in the, in the zombie mythology, there's all different kinds of zombies. And so you have zombies that have been irradiated by some meteorite who's come past the earth, and now the dead are being reanimated, and they're actually crawling up out of the ground, out of the graves. It's one kind of zombie. Then there's the zombies that are infected with some kind of a virus, and they're not they're not really dead. They're just people that are infected with a mind-altering, like a, a human form of rabies that turns them into a raging lunatic out for whatever. Um, and in the classic, I, one of my favorites 
um, is, is not technically a zombie movie. Um, it's I Am Legend. Anybody seen I Am Legend? Uh, I Am Legend is a great story. Um, and in, in the original version, in the black and white version from the 60s, they weren't zombies. They were actually vampires. Um, but they kind of morphed them into like zombie-like vampires for the, the William Smith version of them. But there's a scene in I Am Legend where Will Smith has, he's, he's a scientist, and he is immune to this virus that infects you, either kills you immediately or turns you into this stark, raving lunatic that can't come out in the daylight because you're kind of a zombie vampire. Um, but Will Smith is immune. Um, the, the scary part for us when we talk about our, the, the, the sickness that we are all infected with, the sickness of sin, the virus of sin, no one is immune. There is no immunity to it. Only one person in the history of, of the universe was immune, and his name was Jesus Christ. Sinless. Perfect. And so Will Smith's character, he is looking for a cure. He's looking to try to find a way to fix this. I can fix this, he says over and over and over in the movie. I can fix this. And he captures one of the infected, um, and this happens. Zombie roar. I wish that it had been like ten times louder. And, I, and, I, and that, you, that idea of the roar of the zombie. In some, in some zombie mythologies, it's just kind of like this noise that they make that draws other zombies. Uh, but in, in I Am Legend, this, this person um, who is infected roars at Will Smith, and at this point in the movie, you don't really know why. You just know he's really scary, and he's really mad, and, and he's loud. It's an interesting thing. Uh, scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I learned something amazing this week about roars. Uh, the tiger is one of the most fearsome predators on the planet. And one of the things that a tiger will do uh, that's, that's different than, than some of the other big cats, tigers will lay in wait until their prey is close enough. And then when they know that they're within striking distance, the lion will come tearing out of the undergrowth and it will roar. And it has the uncanny ability of making whatever it is that's in the path of that tiger, it's, they are almost instantaneously paralyzed with fear. And scientists uh, in, in North Carolina were doing a study trying to understand, because there's time. When the lion roars, you have time to turn and run or climb a tree. If, if tigers didn't climb trees, that would be a good strategy. Um, but you have time because they, they announce the roar before they get to you. But every time when the lion is hunting its prey, when it roars, its prey is just like deer in the headlights, just like stuck, whatever it is. 
And what these scientists discovered was that uh, there, are, there are frequencies that you can hear and that animals can hear, um, and then there are frequencies that you can't hear, but you can feel. And so in addition to hearing the roar of the lion, you actually feel the impact of those subsonic frequencies that a lion emits that hit your body and between the two things, between the auditory and the physical sensation of being hit with the roar, it sends brains into just a panic lockdown and they're frozen in place, giving the tiger enough time to get on top of it and have lunch. You know, a lot of times when we hear that roar, that roar is not a, a zombie coming out of a warehouse trying to, to get us. We hear that roar, it's not a tiger uh, in the jungles of Spencerport uh, bursting out of the girls' bathroom, charging down the hallway to get you at E.W. Wilson High School. But we hear that roar in the voice at the table in the cafeteria when somebody says, well, you're not a Christian, are you? which doesn't sound like a roar, but on the other end of it, it feels like a roar. You're not a Christian, are you? Thank you. (laughs) Or maybe that roar is at work, or maybe that roar is from a neighbor, or maybe that roar is from a family member that says, you know what, let's not talk about religion because it's going to divide us as a family, or it's going to be one of those things that you're like, you know, I'm I'm just so I'm so afraid to say anything because I, I don't want to offend. You know, our fears operate the same way when when we hear that roar, it paralyzes us into inactivity. And the the real threat is not even immediate. It's just it's just the fear. So this morning, I want to talk about overcoming that fear, overcoming that that fear of the walking dead and and recognizing that. I want to take a look at this this painting. This is a painting by Caravaggio. I think it's beautiful. Um, It's the painting of Peter's denial of Christ. In, In the New Testament, in Luke, Jesus tells Peter, he tells him in advance, Peter, just want to let you know, I've prayed for you, but Satan is going to sift you. He's going to test you. And you're going to deny me. Peter's like, what are you talking about, Lord? That's crazy talk. I would never deny you. I would never. I would follow you, to the, I would follow you unto death. I would walk with you into a zombie apocalypse, Jesus. There's no way that I'm going to deny you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 22. They seized him and led him away. This is Jesus bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, And looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. Roar! 
from a fearsome little girl. And Peter, fisherman, guy who had hauled in tons and tons of fish, knows how to use a knife, had just chopped off the ear of a guy in the garden. I will die for you, Jesus. There's no way I'll deny you. And Gracie Hinman walks up to him and says, I think you kind of hang out with Jesus. Roar! And, and Peter says, no, not me! Paralyzed with fear. Then it goes on. It says, as, they, as they're sitting there around the fire, it says, then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looked closely and said, this man also was with him, but he denied it. He said, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, are you also not one of them? But Peter said, man, I am not. Peter was from the 70s. Man, I am not. After an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Because in Galilee they say, man. Because he says, he, he sounds like one of them. And immediately while he was still speaking, as Peter, Peter says, man, again, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. So what fears do we have about being associated with Jesus? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of... Um, and, and again, I'm not talking about being associated with a church. I'm not talking about being associated with a religion. I'm talking about being associated with Jesus Christ, the person. What are we afraid of being associated with Him? You know, for us, the, the zombie that attacks us in our faith, uh, the zombie that attacks our faith in Christ is the zombie of social and relational death. We are terrified that that zombie is going to mess up our lives. That that zombie is going to make us feel weird. Or we're, we're afraid of the isolation that that zombie will put us into. Um, we're afraid that, you know, uh, we're afraid that we'll be considered an outcast or weird or a fanatic. And so what we do is, is we do that, we play the game. And we are one kind of a person at church and we use this language while we're at church. And then we are a completely different kind of person when we're at school and we're at work. And we use a completely different set of vocabulary when we are there. Because we're terrified of the zombie of social and relational death. Look at what Luke chapter 6 says. Verse 22. Says, blessed are you, blessed are you, when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Now that's not one of the things that I'm wanting to typically be in, in experience of. When people hate you, and exclude you, and revile you, and spurn, I spit on your name. 
because you are a follower of Christ. I like to be liked. Just give you a little insight into who I am. I don't really like it when people are mad at me. I hate confrontation. I hate having to deal with situations that are awkward and uncomfortable because I am terrified that you won't like me. Just being honest. Nobody, nobody looks at this verse and says, Yeah! Bring it on! When people hate you because on account of the Son of Man. You know, I want to... I want us to kind of explore this a little bit about what the price that we pay to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the zombie apocalypse that we live in, uh, of of the walking dead. And I want to ask you a question. Um, You know, when you come across that that zombie that you encounter, maybe it's a, a horde of zombies at a lunch table at work or at school or at a locker um, or in your neighborhood. Um, I want to ask you a question. What's the worst thing that could happen if you had a Jesus conversation with that zombie? What's the worst thing that could happen? They could scream. You're an idiot! Sure. Fortunately for us, we live in a country where it is not illegal to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, I I was watching a video this week on YouTube of a pastor in Pakistan who is standing up uh, for, for the rights of Christians to experience their faith and worship Jesus Christ without persecution. And I watched this video, and the, the interviewer asked him, um, what, what does that mean for you? Because I've heard that there have been threats against your life um, for, for being so vocal and speaking out for those who can't speak for themselves. And, and he said, I have been, I have been uh, threatened by the Taliban. I have been threatened by uh, my own people here uh, in Pakistan. I've been threatened with, um, with my life, with the life of my family. And he said, but I understand the cross. I understand the price that Jesus paid for me, and how can I do any less? And, and the, the video clip closes, and then I find out that in 2009, he was brutally murdered for standing up for Christ in his native country, for his own people, for his own family the right to be able to worship Jesus Christ. We are blessed to live in a country where we can actually stand here and in a community center proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Honestly, what is the worst that could happen to us? Maybe you could uh, have the mayor of your town subpoena all of your sermons. Um, Is that a big deal? No. All my stuff's on the internet anyway, so just go to our Facebook page. There it is. Um, what are we afraid of? You know, there's a um, there's a guy who is an enter- entertainer who is very he's a brilliant guy, brilliantly smart. Doesn't believe in God. Uh, is very vocal, um, atheist, uh, hostile, almost uh, atheist, uh, and and. I want you to understand that in our country, atheism is becoming incredibly 
uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word radicalized or militant, but atheists are starting to band together. uh, And they're actually creating atheist churches uh, where they are coming together on a weekly basis so that they can go out and proclaim the, the message of atheism in our nation. Uh, I don't know if you noticed uh, that, or were keeping up with the battle in Oklahoma about the Ten Commandments. There was a big monument that had the Ten Commandments on it that was not government funded. It was privately funded. And it stood outside the State House in Oklahoma City. And the ACLU and some other people uh, tried legally to say this was a, a violation of church and state and um, lost. Couldn't get it removed. And then apparently over the weekend, some knucklehead decided that it shouldn't be there and drove his car into it and knocked it down, destroyed it. Um, We live in a culture and in a society that is hostile to Christians, to who we are. Um, So anyways, this guy's name is Penn Gillette. Um, Not the guy who knocked down the thing. Penn didn't do that. Uh, Penn is a magician in Las Vegas and an entertainer and, and amazing. Um, but I, I just want to show you this clip of, of what could be, you know, taking, if, if I were to talk about my faith with someone, I would want, in my own selfishness, I would want to hedge all of my bets. I would want to make sure that I was talking to someone who liked me, who knew me, who that when I shared my faith with them, they wouldn't think I was a nutcase Walking up to Penn Jillette would be terrifying to me, personally. I'm just being honest. I wanted to listen to what happened to Penn. This one you got to click. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and, shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was old on big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the, you know, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, that's uh, not worth explaining. We had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. 
So then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. an atheist talking about how important it is for us. And he goes on to in, in the, the video uh, for a few more minutes. Um, he did not come to Christ. Um, and really, in, in all honesty, that's really the worst thing that could happen. That you could be someone that attempts to share your faith with them and they don't accept Christ. That's the worst Thing that could happen. And I loved what he said. How much do you have to hate someone? And for those of you that are confused about his vocabulary, he was not saying prostitutize. He was saying proselytize, which means to share your faith or to have someone uh, under, you're reaching out to them, uh, evangelize is, a, is a, maybe a better word. Um, how much do you have to hate someone to know that they're heading for eternal destruction and say nothing because you're afraid of what they'll think of you or what they might say about you. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, with which He loved us, even when we were dead, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting. Um, Peter was scared to death of being associated with Jesus Christ. He, he said that he was going to be, and a little girl said, aren't you one of those? And he, he loses it. He's paralyzed with fear. This verse isn't going to be up on the screen, but I want to read it to you in Acts 
chapter 2, verse 14. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And this is a crowd of about 3,000 people. And then, he, so now, he's, he's months earlier, not that far earlier, he's scared of Gracie Hinman. And now he's standing in front of a crowd of 3,000 people and, and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to this massive group of people. And it says that now when they heard his message, they were cut to the heart. So those who received his word, they were baptized and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. What changed? What changed in Peter's heart? How did he overcome the roar of the lion? Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And God's Holy Spirit came into him and filled him with power. He received what we believe in and, and teach in, in, uh, at LifeQuest and in the Assemblies of God. Was the, it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That God's Holy Spirit filled him with power. And it completely changed who he was. Now it's interesting. Check this out. When, when we hear the roar of a lion that sounds so terrifying to us that it paralyzes us with fear, in Acts chapter 2, when they were after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after Jesus ascended, Jesus said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send you something that's going to give you what you need to not be afraid of the zombies anymore. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's coming. And as they're in this room, about 120 of them, in this upper room in Jerusalem, they hear this sound. This sound of a, of a roaring wind that maybe they could hear and maybe they could feel the, the, the subsonic vibration of the Holy Spirit coming into that room and filling them with the Holy Spirit enabling them, and they all began to, to worship God in, in other languages as they were filled with His Spirit, and there was fire. I mean, it was amazing. And then Peter's able to walk out of that room, and he's not afraid of Gracie anymore. Because her roar is nothing in comparison to the voice of God that says, I will be with you. I will empower you. I will give you the words to say. You don't have to be afraid of those zombies. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let me ask you this. When you're dealing with zombies and, and, and you feel like, man, I just don't know. I don't know if, if, I, if I have what it takes. Let me ask you this. What's the best thing that could happen? What's the best thing that Jesus promises to those who trust him? I want to invite Gary to come share a story. This is a short story that I wanted to share. It was kind of an adventure in God, we'll say. I've got a sister in Long Island, and I'll try to paint a picture that I think is pretty accurate. Very well-to-do. Her husband, when you make $500 an hour, you, you live a different lifestyle if you get the picture. God and be born again probably look a little more like country bumpkins in her eyes. Well, she was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer about four months ago, and I was trying to share the gospel with her because 
Um, I just knew that there was no other hope. There's no other salvation. And uh, she got to the point where she said to me, she said, Gary, I don't want you to think I'm anti-God or anything. You know, I said, well, if that's good, Diana, what I'll do is I'll just continue to share the love of Christ, the healing that people have experienced. And it got to the point where I talked to her another time. I, I was staying in contact with her. We're close from childhood. And uh, I said, Dino, there are people that do have healing ministries. And if, if you're okay with it, what we can do is we'll meet together somewhere and uh, we'll go to one of them. And she said, yeah, that'd be fine. So we found a place in Florida. She lives in Long Island. And um, and she called. Now I talked to her a few days later and she said, Gary, I don't even know if I can get on a plane. I don't feel I can breathe enough. And I said, well... Let's just keep the plane tickets, and I'm going to start praying that God gives you strength. And a few days later, you know, I emailed her and said, how are you doing, Diana? And she goes, well, I'm doing a lot better, she goes. I feel like God's in the driver's seat. So we met in this uh, Panama City we flew into in Florida, and uh, we drove out to a small Assembly of God church where they're having like a little bit of a revival. And the man, after about the fourth person they got prayed for, called her out and said, uh, and prayed for uh, lung cancer. And keep in mind, she needed to wheelchair assistance in Atlanta in order to handle everything. So he prays for her, and instantly she starts getting better. He has her run around the church a couple times. And then he looks, she looks over at me and goes, I can breathe. And she started to be able to breathe normally. And it was exciting because uh, that opened the door for me to share more. It was the first night. There were two services. So we took a, a walk, a fairly long walk, on the beach and uh, along the ocean. And I uh, was talking to her. And I said, Dinah, what holds you back from becoming a Christian? And then she looks at me and says, well, I don't really know if there is anything. And I said, well, if there is nothing, then why don't we just pray now? So we sat down, and, and I said, it's going to be a little awkward for me. I don't get to pray the sinner's prayer with many times with people, but we'll stumble through it. And she prayed with me, and uh, it was, I never look excited, but I was excited. This is, <laughs> this is a real breakthrough for my household to see my sister and be able to share the gospel so clearly you know, I was fasting a lot, to be honest with you. I knew she's the type of person she needed to see the gospel minister to her in power. And it was very exciting to explain it, have her understand things, and to be able to send her a Bible now. So, praise God. Amen. Thank you. First Peter chapter 3. Verses 13 and 14. It says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should have to suffer for righteousness' sake. Why am I having trouble with that word? (laughs) If you'd have such trouble for that thing's sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. I love who wrote that. A guy by the name of Peter. 
who was scared of Gracie Hinman. Now Gracie's going to be like, what? I, now I owe her five bucks because I abused her in a message. We do not have to fear the dead because we have hope. The same Jesus who death could not hold lives inside of us. His Holy Spirit empowers us. We can trust Him with our lives and even, if necessary, with our deaths. There's no guarantee that it won't come to a point someday in this country where it may cost us our lives to serve and follow Christ. We can dare to believe that His miracle of life that He has blessed us with can be for others too. That there are zombies that are out there that are lost, infected, that we have the opportunity to speak life into them. So this morning as we close, I want to ask you, a couple years ago we talked about who is your Joe, that, that everybody has one person that, is, that you're connected to that doesn't know Christ, and we call them Joe. And we talked about you know, finding ways to pray for Joe, whether it's Joe or Josephine in your life, and, and taking the, the year to say, God, I want to pray and, and do whatever you want me to do to help share my faith with Joe question to you this morning is, who's your zombie? Who's that one person that God wants you to share your faith with that you maybe have been terrified of? Because God wants to fill you with His presence and His power and His Spirit and enable you to share your faith and not be afraid anymore. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would be with us as we walk out today. Lord, that we would not walk out afraid. But God, we would invite Your Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives. That Your presence would come and fill us, empower us like You empowered Peter. That You would baptize each and every one of us with Your Holy Spirit. It's a gift that's available to all of us. Lord, we ask that You would prepare the way of the hearts of our zombies that you would open their hearts to receive from you. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't be afraid. God is with you.